0: Welcome to the Business Radio Network. Enjoy Small Biz, Big Voices with Stephanie Rising.
1: Hi, I'm Stephanie Rising, a business coach and author in beautiful Tucson, Arizona. Today, it's my pleasure to speak with Clint Perry, Business Development Manager for Focus HR. Our interview will conclude with a Proust lightning round, and our final segment will be Dear Coach, when I'll coach listeners through issues they've emailed in. For the time being, we are recording our show remotely, so thank you for bearing with any sound idiosyncrasies. It's my pleasure to welcome my guest, Clint Perry. Clint has a passion for business growth and personal development. At Focus HR, he helps small business owners accelerate their growth with HR outsourcing. Clint began his career at Xerox Corporation, helping to grow Xerox's document outsourcing practice in Tucson by over $4 million in revenue. Thereafter, he launched his own coaching firm, Action Coach, where he coached over 300 business owners in Southern Arizona. Most recently, Clint led strategy and client development for Lappin International, a strategy and leadership consulting firm focused on building purpose-driven companies and leaders. Clint is a past columnist for Inside Tucson Business and the Arizona Daily Star, and he is one of Tucson's 40 Under 40. He earned a degree in business management from BYU, an MBA from the University of Arizona, and is a SHRM Senior Certified Professional. Clint, thank you so much for taking time to be with us today. Welcome to the show, and I'm just really eager to ask a whole bunch of questions about what's going down these days.
0: Thank you. I'm so excited to join you on the show today, thanks for the invitation.
1: Well, I appreciate it. And I I wanted to kick things off with a a statistic that I came across that uh, was very surprising to me. I know that Arizona has a lot of small businesses and Tucson in particular, but I saw in a 2018 SBA survey that 99.4% of Arizona companies were classified as small businesses employing a total of a million people. And I I know that obviously COVID has had an impact on many businesses of all sizes, but thankfully we still have a lot of small businesses that are alive and well. And I think what's always been a challenge for us as small business owners is finding the time and the resources to effectively juggle all of our obligations. With HR specifically, what's the challenge that you see small business owners most frequently run into, and what can they do to alleviate that burden?
0: Well, it's a great question, Stephanie. And I think most often what I notice in small business world, at least as it pertains to HR, is they most business owners just simply lack a good HR strategy and a good HR infrastructure. Yeah. And many may well, what is that exactly? Well, you know, they, essentially, essentially, in its simplest forms, a good HR strategy is, you know, how do we best manage the employer-employee relationship? What are the strategies we employ to do that to ensure that we can attract and retain the best talent? And then do we have a good infrastructure, a good, you know, a good systems, uh, foundation, technology systems to support that HR strategy?
1: That's great. I'm taking notes. I take notes with I so much from every guest and, and something that you just mentioned, you know, the systems and the technology. I think A lot of business owners are very sensitive about wanting to be competitive and attracting good employees and retaining them, but then they forget kind of the just sort of the the unsexy back office aspect of that, which is the, the protocols and the technology that help people to orient and acclimate so they feel like they're successful.
0: Right, and so ultimately it's, you know, when you bring somebody in uh, to your company, uh, first impressions matter um, and how you onboard them and what does that, that system, or what does that approach look like? What does that process look like? Um, and it really another, another way to look at it is what, if you think about the employee life cycle uh, from the time that an employee is recruited into the business, uh, they join the business and then they go through onboarding, get them sort of acclimated to your, your business and the culture and the way you do things uh, to ultimately how you develop and train them and how you engage them and retain them long term. Um, ultimately how you recognize and advance them through uh, the business and um, and then through ultimately separation whether they retire or they separate move on to a different career but through that entire life cycle, you have to have strategies a strategy around that and how do we uh, in all each of those steps of that cycle and also an infrastructure uh, systems and technology and good people to support that Uh, or Things are going to be fairly fragmented, and it's going to be reactive versus sort of proactive, and it's it's not uh, it's not going to run well, and it's not going to ultimately create the kind of environment, uh, the kind of business that employees are going to enjoy and thrive in and want to work for, because things are going to seem sort of hodgepodge and and disorganized and reactive, um, and it's going to ultimately. The other real big issue is exposing your business to risk. If you don't have good systems, uh, if you don't have uh, around compliance and really understand the labor laws and how they apply to your business uh, and are doing things right as it comes, at least as it pertains to HR, you really are opening yourself up to some risk that's not not good.
1: And I I think the irony of that also, and, you know, you and I have discussed this. We are also small business owners. Um, we help other small business owners. We're all control freaks. <laughs> it is really what? difficult. <laughs> I know, it's shocking news. It's so difficult to start a, a company and it's such an extension of, of who you are, the brand that you've created. And I think all of us struggle with with letting go. And so then our default is the DIY in all aspects of our business, including HR. But like what you were saying, the irony with that is keeping it all to ourselves and trying to to control it ourselves probably indirectly opens ourselves up to risk because most of us are not HR experts. So what, what are the indicators that it's time to look at a different solution like HR outsourcing, and what are the, the real benefits or the implications to a business owner for choosing to outsource their HR?
0: So business owners, and you know this very well, as a coach, Stephanie, that ultimately, they have a lot of plates they're spinning. Yeah. And trying to keep all those spinning, and they, if you're, again, control freaks, like we were talk, talking about, you tend to add more without uh, you know ending one or two of those plates spinning. Um, it just can be too overwhelming and ultimately get them in trouble. And so, you know, I heard a, I heard a great, uh, great advice from a, a former CEO I used to work for. And he said, do what you do best all of the time. And do what you don't do best none of the time. And I think that's so, such great wisdom. And when you yeah. think about, okay, what am I really good at? What am I passionate about? What should I be doing all the time? Well, you know, when it comes down to business, a small business and big business, really, you as an owner, executive, your real keys are, how do I track and keep the best talent? Because ultimately, that's going to differentiate my business. And how do I track and keep the best customers? Anything sort of outside of that, um, you know, are, should you really be spending your time, your precious time, that you only have so much of in a day doing things like HR, uh, or other things, technology, or accounting, whatever other things that you may be taking onto your plate that you simply uh, just can't don't have the time or the, the knowledge or the expertise to be doing. So if you look at sort of the that trick you know that trigger point or indicators, I, I think most something happens when a business sort of gets over that 10 employee mark you know yeah. usually it's somewhat manageable and they they can handle sort of the quote hr issues but i've had so many conversations discussions and it seems like more often than not business owners have noted when they sort of trip over that 10 employee mark start growing things get a lot more unwieldy um, so you really as a business owner have to take a serious step back and look at your time where are you spending it and how much of HR transactional, administrative HR things are soaking it up, or how much of it is soaking up the time of an office manager or bookkeeper, when they could be doing budgeting, forecasting, planning, analysis, things that ultimately are going to help you make better business decisions and and contribute a lot more to the bottom line. So um, those are absolute sort of things to really be thinking about as you think about what's, you know, versus the sort of do-it-yourself mentality, and I can just handle these things on my own.
1: Yeah, and I know, you know, I'm, I'm sympathetic to business owners who, you know, they're working with a finite amount of resources, and they think if they do certain things themselves that they're, they're going to somehow save themselves money. But to the point that, that you just made, what they don't always take into consideration are opportunity costs where if they weren't doing if they stopped doing something that really fell outside of their purview and you know if it falls outside of your skill set it's taking you longer right so you're spending more time doing something that you're not as good at whereas if you devoted that same amount of time to growing your business and engaging in revenue generating activities you probably wind up more than paying for outsourcing
0: exactly it, Stephanie, exactly. Because ultimately they said, well, how much is, you know, what's this going to you know, cost me, this kind of thing? I, it's going to cost me a lot. And I said, and I always say to them, exactly, what is it going to cost you? What is it going to cost you in terms of lost revenue, in terms of uh, growth to your business, in, ter- in terms of potential customers that might actually, or cost in terms of losing out on potentially good talent? The cost, the real cost, if the big cost, if you look at those big things, far outweigh any, I'd say, minuscule amount of money you're going to save doing these kinds of things yourself.
1: And that I, one of the reasons um, I'm so happy to have you on the show is because I think HR has this like really unfortunate reputation of being a necessary evil instead of a real asset to a business and you know one thing that comes to my mind is the fact that diversity and inclusion in the workplace adds so much to a, a company in terms of productivity profitability customer loyalty um the quality of decisions that are made but somebody has got to manage all of that talent and with diversity and with an inclusive workplace come a lot of different points of view Um, the the need for people to feel accepted by their peers the need for people to feel like they have a voice in decisions um, that that's more of an art than a science and somebody's got to have their hands on the reins so how How would you view an HR director's role in promoting and managing the kind of culture that brings a wealth of knowledge and a wealth of profit to a business?
0: So it's a great question. In fact, I I really, a lot of my past 10 years before my time at Focus HR, was spent in leadership and strategy and doing a lot of work actually in uh, executive development around we had a, a much of our practice was actually focused on cross-cultural intelligence diversity inclusion kinds of related types of work and and then mainly in the in the larger you know fortune 500 fortune one thousand kinds of businesses but certainly it's as critical or as important for small businesses as it is for large companies today um, and I well I think one of the things I noticed that's interesting when it comes to diversity and inclusion and its role in business is that it really starts with the business owner, starts with the CEO, starts with management and executive team. They simply can't leave it to the HR director. They certainly can't abdicate it. Um, right. And they can certainly delegate certain key things, but you know, an HR director is pivotal in the role and they're pivotal in terms of being you know, certainly a great cheerleader, a coach, an advocate, a promoter, uh, but when it comes to those core DNI uh, values, they have to. It kind of starts from the top, and they've got to be sort of decided on, and integrated, and committed to, to the fabric of the business, the fabric of the culture, and actively lived and embodied each day. And it can't just be saying, "Oh well, our HR director is going to take care of that." Uh, no, it really starts from leadership, and then uh, ultimately, a great HR director. Is going to be key and instrumental in amplifying that in the business and not only uh, through through the people side of the business and, and talent and of course uh, when it comes to promoting that those kind of values and philosophy to those who they are recruiting um, bringing into the business but then and certainly to the existing employees uh, ensuring that those values are promulgated and and promoted importantly so um, and it can't just be, here's the other thing I noticed about sort of like diversity inclusion or other kinds of things, employee engagement, whatever, you name it is, and you, you give it. But ultimately, we noticed many times in business, it would become more of a internal, say, a marketing promotion or campaign. Some, and it almost landed as something very superficial. Um, but you know what, people, employees, customers, suppliers, they pick up on this stuff. They will see through that sort of something that's not really uh, authentic hmm. to the culture of the business and to the values of the business. So I think that's another important role that an HR director uh, plays in working with leader, the leadership of the business is ensuring that this is something we, that really matters to us, that we care about, that's sincere and genuine, and not just a, oh, me too kind of afterthought that we're just saying, oh, yeah, we believe in diversity and inclusion, but you really don't live it. You really don't buy into what that means. And you don't actively integrate it into day to day business.
1: So the HR director is kind of that the living breathing embodiment of something that's put into practice. Like this is, this is more about action. This is less about just language. Correct. Okay. Now for small businesses who have fewer than 10 employees. you know, Maybe they just have a handful of people working for them. You know, HR does tend to fall under the purview of the lead accountant. And a lot of them actually do a great job keeping their employers in compliance. And yet at the same time, HR covers a lot of very nuanced territory. So what's something that you wish every organization better understood or implemented when it comes to their HR.
0: You know, that it is a huge challenge, actually, Stephanie, especially because we do have a lot of uh, micro businesses that, you know, out there that are under the sort of 10 employee mark. Yeah. And, uh, and, it, and when you say nuance, you're right. Uh, there are you know, HR, human resources in the broad practice and the discipline of HR, especially when it comes to labor laws, this is changing. It's changing rapidly every year. I mean, case in point, look what we've just gone through in the last few months. Yeah. I mean, the institution of, of new new regulations laws uh, and all associated with their you know PPP loans. I mean, it has been an incredibly difficult, challenging uh, thing to try to navigate. And that's left small business owners like, scratching their heads and trying to figure out. A little challenging some for us uh, as it's you know, have really experts in the field and trying to help our clients really navigate it. But I think, as I think about these small business owners, you know, what's something that they really better understood? For me, I just wish they really understood that it can be an actual business strategy Um, and and perhaps even the most important strategy, not just sort of an afterthought. It's not a trans, HR shouldn't be something that's transactional or just administrative. Uh, and, And certainly worry about it, being advocated or delegated to you know, some accountant or bookkeeping kind of role. Talent mm-hmm. is the key differentiator in business, right? Anybody can, yeah. anybody can imitate or, or replicate uh, technology or products or services, but leadership caliber, talent caliber, you can't you know, replicate. That is your key differentiator in business. It should be the, the business owner, CEO's number one priority, getting and keeping good talent. Um, so even you know in a startup mode, that should be something that's important and in thinking through the future of the business a uh, key part of their strategy is okay, how are we gonna handle human resources? What is our strategy gonna be? What kind of infrastructure are we gonna be building here um, so that we can handle can we can scale and growth and we can do this right and it not be sort of this thing that evolves into something that's sort of fragmented and reactive and ultimately exposes us to a lot of risk.
1: And that that is a really, that's a really good point. Um, and I wrote down that it is a key differentiator. And, and as you were mentioning that, it, it made me think back to earlier in our conversation about when we're in DIY mode and we're, we're keeping everything to ourselves, kind of the equal and opposite reaction that business owners will have is, they just won't pay attention to anything at all or they they shunt it off onto somebody's plate and they're just so relieved that somebody else is quote unquote dealing with it and they don't have to anymore they don't really take the time to plan to transition to communicate and hr is is just far too critical to for lack of a more delicate phrase to half-ass it um, it's probably where you have your greatest amount of risk and it's also probably where you can derive as you said the majority of your reward um, you know I know that there's kind of that the old traditional percentages you have to spend like twenty percent of your time on marketing every week twenty at least twenty percent always engaging with your customers or um, networking or something that's going to expand your your reach, your relationships, how much time do you think every week, these smaller business owners that are forced out of necessity to take a more DIY approach, how much time should they be spending every week focusing on developing and implementing their HR strategy?
0: Well, ultimately, if talent is the key differentiator in business, if you agree to that premise and that sort of statement, Um, then, you know, to me, it's, it's a significant majority. It's, you know, perhaps, you know, 50, 60% of your time should be really focused at least on are we, what are we doing to attract and retain and develop the best people in our business? And ultimately, if we're going to grow, what, I, you go ask any business owner out there. I mean, I, I have conversations all the time. And it's in the number one issue. It is the number one pain, you know, headache They I just can't find and keep good people. Yeah. And it's tough out there. And even in the, the current situation we find ourselves in, I mean, we've had record low unemployment and Tucson has struggled to um, have an inventory, a sufficient kind of inventory For good talent, especially those in a more of a managerial or executive kinds of um, very highly skilled types of talent, Um, it's very difficult and it it keeps, uh, almost I think a lot of business owners feel it's almost like a full-time job just to try to find and keep good people for the business. So it has to be a significant portion of your business and maybe sounds... Crazy, but honestly, it, it is the key, to me, it's the key differentiator.
1: We're gonna take just a quick break on that note. This is Small Biz Big Voices hosted by Stephanie Rising. I'm a small business coach on a mission to get business owners off their hamster wheel and empower them as authentic and influential leaders. My online dynamic marketing course provides step-by-step videos and exercises to help you connect with your ideal client and discover your true sales personality find out if you're a panther politician protector or professor by going to the rising effect.com today i'm visiting with clint perry of focus hr now you you mentioned the the impact of, of COVID a little bit earlier and i think You know, regardless of whether we've had to pivot our business to a virtual platform or whether we're still at least partially functioning in person, all businesses of all types are still at the end of the day composed of people. And those people are looking for opportunity and a sense of purpose. And they also come with their own complexity and a need to be heard. So for those who are brave enough (laughs) to become hr directors what advice would you give someone thinking about a career in in hr what can they expect particularly in today's marketplace
0: well you know number one they better be get ready for a wild roller coaster ride because they can expect (laughs) a lot of change and fast yeah um, it's it's amazing to me uh, just being in the field and again where we do this 24 7 Uh, what it takes for us as a full-time staff of several HR managers and those that are in the field and benefits and payroll workers compensation just to keep up with what is um, going on uh, in the market and keep up with the current pace, the regulatory burden, the regulatory changes and different uh, labor laws and other sorts of things that are happening. So uh, they've got to be prepared and interested and motivated and <laughs> excited about change because that's the name of the game here in HR. Um, I think also there's a very big push in the HR industry for um, you know HR and traditionally it's had a bad rap in sense of being known as sort of handling a lot of administrative, tactical types of things, just being paper pushers and doing a lot of those kinds of things. Yeah, uh, and there is a big push from certainly from SHRM, uh, the, you know, the association um, that represents the HR practitioners and others to um, elevate the role of HR to a more strategic role. So I think somebody that's interested in looking at HR, a career in HR, they've got to say, you know, am I somebody that's strategic or am I more you know, sort of tactical, administrative? Um, wh- what do I enjoy? Uh, what am I passionate about? And what am I capable of doing, what are the, my, back, my skills and interests in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, and looking at SHRM, you know, or an HRCI designation as uh, is, is another professional designation I think is important. Uh, certainly doing an internship, uh, just getting some, you know, real real life experiences is something I really want to do. I can see myself doing for the next 10, 23 years. But man, if the good ones, and they're hard to find, the great HR practitioners, if you can you know, find one, they're worth their weight in gold. They're they're exceptional, but they're just very, very difficult to find, especially we've noticed in some of the smaller markets.
1: It, and it is, you know, like we were saying before, I think anytime your job revolves around people rather than just straight administrative tasks, it is more art than science. And, and yet HR, right. it's almost it's almost like you have to have a little bit of a split personality that you're dealing with things that um, are highly variable, sometimes volatile, and at the same time, you are responsible for upholding compliance and things that are very objective and regulatory. And so I can see from an HR director's point of view that that is a little bit of a high wire act.
0: It is. It's not just birthday parties and, and office parties and <laughs> you know feel good uh, you know uh, employee engagement programs. It's it's a whole different ball game. A um, uh, good HR uh, practitioner has a lot on the line. I mean, they are ultimately trying to mitigate risk for the business. They're trying to elevate its strategic positioning in the market to help it compete most effectively for uh you know the war on talent which is definitely a war out there and how are they helping that business to win that war, attracting retaining the best talent Um, and ultimately how what are they doing to develop the good people they have how are they um, helping you know create a a great career path or in helping uh, promote recognize and advance people uh, in the business because you know you add this whole and then you add the whole mix of millennials and general Zers that are coming into the market and bring a whole different challenge shall we say mm-hmm. uh, to the talent game and hr managers are tasked to figure that out kind of <laughs> that out so
1: and and in that role particularly i mean with I've mentioned on, on prior shows, I mean, with millennials now being the, the largest living workforce, and you know, some of them are are now well into their 30s, and they've got a lot more experience under their belt, but there's right. kind of the younger end of the millennial spectrum, and now Gen Zers starting to come into like the entry-level workforce. Um, one of the ways in which I view human resource work, I think that people who gravitate toward it are often naturally really good mentors. And like the younger workforce can really benefit from true mentorship, not, not being you know, patronized or dismissed or you know, like petted on the head, but like true cultivation, true mentorship and i know i've learned a lot over the years from hr experts such as yourself who have given me a lot of insight into some very complex situations that have been brought with possible Mm -hmm. risk Um, so it makes me curious who has been an influence to you in in your life or in your work um, where hr is concerned what did you learn from them
0: well, you know, certainly I've learned from some great, at least in my role, I've learned from some great clients that have been in the HR business because at least in my previous role, um, most of uh, my previous career, uh, most of our clients were chief HR officers of large corporations and, and or heads of talent management, uh, talent development, um, and Gosh, i dealt with dozens and dozens of them over the 10 years I was at least in that particular career. And I can think of, you know, just really a sort of, I don't know, a couple handfuls maybe of those and maybe even a handful of those that were really the good ones that I thought were so, I think, balanced, maybe is the right word, but balanced in how they approached team resources uh, where they were just... They were strategic and they were thoughtful. They really had that sort of business brain. They really thought first, okay, what's really most important to the business and where, what are our business objectives and what is this going to be aligned? They always talk about HR alignment, right? HR alignment to the business. Um, Is this aligned or not? What we're trying to do is this going to make, is this going to move the needle on our performance or not? Um, It wasn't about sort of their own, um, Program or their um, their their own personal uh, pr- uh, sort of goals or aspirations or what they wanted HR to be. It was really a much they were really elevated above that and more looking at overall the business objectives and goals and making sure they were aligned. Their teams were aligned. Anything any HR initiative, object, uh, uh, program, whatever it is, policy. Uh, was aligned to the business objective, so that to me was really, uh, really impressive. And I, there was a, again probably a good handful of HR leaders that to me embodied that. They were also just really good to, to get along with, to, to talk with. To they were they were uh, they weren't reactive, they weren't over dramatic. They were just uh, pragmatic. They were, of course, very personable. Um, and just got along well with other leaders. They, they had a way to just ebb and flow. They could adjust their behavioral style, their, their communication style, to a wide variety of different business leaders and line leaders, um, and functional leaders in the business that they had to work with. And be able to listen, you know, being that capacity to listen, to understand, to test for understanding. And then to align uh, to those leaders and what their needs were and to deliver on what the, those needs were. That's a, a rare, rare quality. And I think that also distinguished those HR leaders that I've dealt with in the past.
1: And since you had a chance to to witness that level of professionalism I'm, I'm assuming those folks worked for larger companies and i'm i'm tying this back to the the comment that you made earlier that there's there's like this war for talent that everyone whether it's a large company or small company everyone is looking to get the the best possible team assembled that they can and so it's it sounds like larger companies um who have these very talented hr directors that not only recruit but retain top talent, how can small businesses compete with that?
0: Well, it's tough, uh, especially perhaps in a market like ours, where there's already seems like a low inventory of really top talent, because we, we see it in many cases fleeting to you know Phoenix or other larger metropolitan areas where they feel like there's more opportunity and a lot more companies, more um, mm. career opportunities. But I, I think Honestly, the only way that small businesses can compete with the larger companies here who have, you know, more resources, um, many times it seems like better benefits or better brand name recognition, they've got to liberate themselves from anything that's low value, that's administered, that's really pulling them away from this number one priority of finding and keeping good talent. Uh, They've got to employ every strategy to find and keep them, but then, you know, one of the Strategies they could can look at, and I think, is very effective. Is like HR outsourcing because ultimately you've, you're gaining advantage, you're leveraging um, HR outsourcing business that has the scale and size of a lot of small companies, hundreds of small companies aggregated together that acts like you know, uh, has the buying power and resources of large companies. So if you can aggregate your small business to a lot of other small companies, hundreds of other small companies, that's going to gain you some some leverage, some buying power, and some uh, ability and infrastructure and a strategy at really sort of the fraction of the cost, certainly doing yourself, that's going to allow you to compete in a much more effective way with the larger companies going after that talent. So if you can offload, liberate, yourself of all to, like, an HR outsourcing firm, like, like a focus HR, but ultimately, then I can then take that time and focus on doing my business. I can focus on getting and keeping the best talent because now I have access to some of those things that the big companies do that I didn't have before. So it really, in a sense, levels the playing field a lot. And I think that's, that's very significant. I also think another thing they can do to compete with larger companies is really a step establishing a purpose-driven business, you know, especially the millennials, Gen Zers, they want to make a difference, right? They want to feel like they're part of something big. They want to, they're looking for this sense of meaning, a sense of contribution to be part of something. So what does your business stand for? What's your purpose? Why do you exist? What's the contribution you make to the world, to the, your customers that no one else does in quite the same way? And how do you infuse that into your recruiting efforts and into your uh, retention efforts? I think mm-hmm. that's significant as well. And mm-hmm. you know, you've, you've got, you're competing with the larger companies and you can, you, can ins, you can inspire a potential candidate to be part of something, a growth opportunity, something that's exciting and, and something that's meaningful is gonna make a real positive difference in the world. That could be your edge.
1: Kind of, this is the the perfect segue to the last question I wanted to ask in this in this part of our conversation. Um, when you were mentioning outsourcing to a company like yours that has this aggregate buying power, uh, Focus HR serves clients in 33 states, and so chances are someone listening to this podcast has access to your expertise, what does Focus HR offer to business owners who are looking to either streamline their compliance or really up their strategic HR game? What, when you say you have aggregate buying power, um, what, what does that mean to the end user?
0: Well, first, first and foremost, certainly, what, and I kind of referred to this before, we give you an HR strategy and an infrastructure. It's already built. It's designed. It's sort of like a plug and play in a sense. You don't have to build it yourself. Figure this out yourself. We've already <laughs> invested lots of money and time and hired the best people to figure all that out.
1: You, you've you made the wheel.
0: <laughs> We've made the wheel. Don't reinvent it. Don't create it. Invent it yourself. Um, you've got a team of experts here. You've got the tech, You know technology, the platform. You've got best practices. And so all that tied up really in a variable cost kind of pay structure where you don't have to invest all the fixed costs and other variable costs to you know, develop something like that or keep something going like that. Um, I think also, you know, ultimately, if they're really lo- looking to HR, up their HR game, they need to spend, again, more time focused on the activity, the time of finding and seeking good people for their business and yeah. keeping those people and less time on managing them and um, handling all the administrative things that go along with them, that go along with that. The other sort of aspect around sort of the leverage or the aggregation is and just an example of workers' compensation or employee benefits. When you're leveraging, you know, hundreds of companies and you have um, thousands of worksite employees that are aggregate as part of those hundreds of companies that our clients, you are leveraging that you know, from a buying perspective. So ultimately that's going to translate into lower costs and certainly a better situation, better scenario, better health plans, or a better workers' compensation policy uh, for, your, for your business.
1: A, a much better outcome with far less investment of the owner's time, which sounds like a win-win to me.
0: Yeah, less time, a better team, and ultimately better technology.
1: You can learn more about Clint and Focus HR by visiting their website at www.focushr.net. We will also have that for you in today's show notes. Um, We are going to go on to the Proust lightning round. Are you ready?
0: I am ready. Let me have it.
1: (laughs) All right. The Proust questionnaire was a parlor game made popular by the French essayist and novelist Marcel Proust. He believed that by answering 35 specific questions, an individual reveals their true nature. I'm going to ask you five of them. And the first Mm. is, which historical figure do you most identify with?
0: Oh, gosh. Well, I'm a person of faith. And so as I think about going back to historical figures, we'll go to a biblical figure. So how about... Like, I love Joseph of Egypt. The uh, guys just went through so much. And I, even through all the adversity and uh, the challenges, he rose to be somebody great that actually made a huge impact in saving Egypt from famine. And um, I just, I'm always impressed with, uh, with that story.
1: Very cool. What is your most treasured possession?
0: Oh, wow. Um, I think my faith, honestly, uh, I, and I know it's not a sort of a physical, tangible possession, but it's something that is very dear to me and something that is uh, an anchor for me in my life and uh, that I, I treasure greatly. And it, uh, it's what brings me joy and peace and, and happiness.
1: What is the quality you most like in a person?
0: I, you know, for me it's, Kind of a couple of things. I think empathy is one where somebody can really empathize, they can listen and show they care. And the other thing I really like is spontaneous and um somebody that's fun.
1: What is your greatest extravagance?
0: <laughs> Probably Reese's <laughs> over <cups. laughs> Yeah. I uh a little bit of a Reese's fact, but uh, you know, if I can get out, play a game of golf, which I, you know, I love and rarely do. Um, I always find an excuse. I'm too busy and et cetera. Um, that's probably my greatest extravagance, sadly enough. <laughs>
1: <laughs> extravagance in frustration. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and lastly, what is your idea of perfect happiness?
0: Whoa. Perfect happiness. Hmm. You know, to me, it goes back, I think, just to, to balance. Uh, yeah. We've got so much going on in our life, but if you can find balance in the areas of your, you know, those sort of like the you know, cubby areas, physical, spiritual, emotional, social, um, intellectual, mental, those capacities, if you can have balance in each of those areas, I think life <laughs> is pretty good. And, you know, awesome. I've got, and, and, and I've also got, you know, four kids, so seeing them being productive and just, you know, the people that you often care about that are happy and healthy, uh, all that in a balanced sort of life, to me, that's sort of perfect happiness.
1: That's awesome. Thank you. I, I love getting honest, spontaneous answers to these. You have <laughs> great answers. Thank you, Glenn. Next, we're going to have Dear Coach. Um, I would love to have you chime in. This is the end of our last or the um, at the end of our last segment. Hmm. Dear Coach gives our listeners the chance to have their emailed questions addressed. And many of the problems that I see in businesses, if not relationships in general, stem from either a misunderstanding of others or a focus on our challenges rather than our strengths. So I'm doing a four part Dear Coach series on the DISC behavioral types to help us better recognize our own motivation as well as that of others and today I'm featuring the I, who is the influencer. With a need to pepper most tasks with fun, their path toward a goal may not always be a straight line, but it will definitely be an experience. Influencers are the world's optimists. They are guided largely by their emotions and the belief that almost anything is possible, they just need to find a way. They also thrive when accepted. A smile paired with thank you or a good job will win you great loyalty from someone who's genuinely eager to be appreciated. That need for social acceptance is both a driving force and an Achilles heel of the I style. Their need to connect and communicate, their charming persuasiveness, and their natural ability to befriend others make them highly productive in people-oriented industries. However, Eyes need to beware that their eagerness to please and their emotionalism can sometimes fog their objectivity and cause them to attach themselves to ideas or people before all the facts are in. Each of the DISC styles has a specific emotional motivator that tends to guide their decision-making. Sensitive as they are, it's fortunate for eyes that they are motivated by optimism. They rebound quickly in their confidence that tomorrow is indeed another day. Similarly to the D style, eyes like to keep things moving along without getting bogged down in too many details. However, where the D is driving for results, the eye is seeking out fun and friendship. In work or play, eyes must enjoy what they do and who they interact with or they quickly become bored. Their near constant need for variety can be difficult to fill as well as make them prone to flip from idea to idea these are our sprinters, not our marathoners. It's that combination of few details, much hopefulness, and easy distraction that can cause others to view high eyes as Pollyannas. Eyes can lack the concrete facts that typically root solid decisions, trusting instead their own feelings. A talkative and emotional group, eyes sometimes get off task and share more information than others can comfortably hear. But Eyes who master their gift of the gab and adapt to the listener's style are highly effective at connecting with and influencing others. Think of Oprah. There is a reason why she taped her show for 24 years in front of a live audience. Eyes feed on the energy in the room. For someone as dynamic and influential as Oprah, that sense of immediacy and connection is simply essential to her being. In business, gregarious influencers generate enthusiasm for ideas and excel at motivating their team. Their personableness makes them excellent for business development, as they tend to be top revenue producers. What others may perceive as a lack of a solid plan is an influencer's ability to view life as an organic, ongoing process. If they attempt something and it doesn't work out, their optimism enables them to stand up, brush themselves off, and move on to the next idea. It isn't that they don't learn. It's that their energies are concentrated in their belief that they can always recover. While this can be viewed as flaky, an advantage to having an eye on your team is their ability to adapt. Eyes help guide their teams to go where the social current takes them, usually putting them at the forefront of trends and sales. When they curb their chattiness, the eye's warmth and energy can shine through in wonderfully infectious ways. To sum up, eyes are a gregarious, charming, and energetic group whose relationships are a boon to any organization. Their genuine affection for people and sense of humor offer a boost of good energy to those around them. For excellent communication, sales, and a shot of fresh enthusiasm, you want an eye on your team. We have a few minutes left. And Clint, I I wanted to ask, what advice can you offer those who have chatty but charming influencers in their lives how do you pers- personally approach like working with them and and maybe corralling them a little
0: bit <laughs> that that's the operative word corralling right <laughs> um good luck you know i i love i love working with eyes uh and that the, their optimism as you call it they're spontaneous uh fun uh, very energetic so energized by people and just always have that sort of bright outlook on life um and, and just very relationship driven um i think a, a couple of things for me that are important um, number one is just helping them understand wh- what what makes them who they are and why it's a strength but you can also know uh as you very well educate them on their strength their your greatest strength can be your greatest weakness yes and how do you uh, and amplify and enhance certainly the strength and mitigate the weakness. Now, well, they may not be able to do it themselves. So sometimes, well, first of all, just being aware, if they can be aware of the things, uh, the, the weaknesses or the, some of the traits that can hurt them, uh, whatever role they're in, say it's a sales role, what are the, some of the things that they, the, or the pitfalls uh, or areas they need to be aware of as an eye in the sales process that can trip them up? Sometimes that could be, well, you're so enthusiastic about this relationship that you get and, and love the conversation, uh, you're talking so much that you're not quite listening like you should, or you miss some important details that were key to that uh, solution or the problem the client wanted to solve and you uh, the prospect wanted to solve um, or, and or another potential area I've noticed with eyes and as example in a sales role um, is just attention to detail um, mm-hmm. and they're so excited about prospect but then they're moving on to the next project but there sometimes it requires a lot of patience and perseverance um, you, you, know, you may they may be working with somebody that's an F, an S or a C, on the disc profile that just requires a lot more time and a lot more data and information. And eyes can grow very impatient, and they're ready to you know move on where they could have they left some some an opportunity on the table because they they just didn't exercise that So it may be that either they need to ratchet it back and and put in sort of systems or develop habits or ways that they can sort of modulate that eye and be persistent and patient or work with somebody, have a partner that complements them, that brings some of that S and C characteristics and behavioral styles into uh, the relationship and can help balance that eye and help make up for uh, fill in the gaps where those uh, eye tendencies tend to trip them up.
1: That is great advice. And uh, I I see exactly the, the same challenges for my high eye clients. And I, I think your observation about being a little more patient, you know, and acknowledging that tapping the brakes and slowing down a little bit and not um, not like destroying your eagerness and your enthusiasm because that's that's part of what makes an eye tick, but you have to be able to regulate it in a way where you're um you're just not blowing the hair back
0: <laughs> right <laughs> I'm exactly sitting
1: across from you <laughs>
0: <laughs> well the other thing is the uh, you know is that op- that optimism, which is a great trait, how do you balance the realism side of this yeah. and and just being able to ask have some tough questions to ask that really give us a realistic sense of, you know, an objective sense. Where are we? Uh, whether that's in a sales cycle or in some other kind of relationship or other, um, you know, in personnel kind of uh, thing you're working on, a personnel thing you're working on, in the business or whatever operational thing. Ultimately, being able to ask them and or have them so ask themselves the tough questions that can give them a more object kind of slow them down a little bit and give them a more objective viewpoint, uh, a more realistic viewpoint, kind of temper them a little bit, I think is also healthy.
1: That is great advice. Thank you, Clint. And we are going to end on that wise note. This brings us to the end of today's episode. If you have a question for our dear coach segment, or if you'd like to schedule a disc meeting to discover what your behavioral style means to your business, please email me at stephanie at effect.com. I also invite you to follow the show on my website at therisingeffect.com, which includes show notes and all my dear coach tips. My thanks again to today's guest, Clint Perry with Focus HR, to my producer, Mark Bishop, and to you for joining us on Small Biz, Big Voices. Stay safe and be well.